Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It's always on time. Thank you for blessing us beyond measure. Thank you, Father, for restoring us as we literally sit here and discuss your word. Father, your word is so powerful. It's always on time. Thank you for the people you have assembled here for this appointed time to hear a word from you. Father, speak through me. Remove me. Speak your comfort through me and your love for people through me. Father, we receive it all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, let the church say, amen. All right, let's jump right into the greatest love story. The greatest love story. Now, I used to think the greatest love story was... She's not here, so I'm not going to get any brownie points, so who cares, all right? So, I, <laughs> we all know the greatest love story, right? The greatest love story is, is literally John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. That's the greatest love story ever. I want to show you in Scripture... Uh, uh, a love story that is very pertinent to today. Amen. Let's take a look at that. We'll start in Romans 6, 14, right? The Bible says, for sin shall not, say not, sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For you are not under, but under grace. Now, sometimes I'm wondering, it, it, I, I never saw this verse the way I see it today, right? I grew up thinking that's not the, tr that's not the case. There's always been this uh, case against grace, so to speak. Like, hey, you preach that grace message, man. That means that you are giving people license. But let me ask you something. According to the Bible, you tell me. You tell me how sin will not dominate our lives anymore. What do we have to understand? Yeah, we got to understand that we're not under law anymore, but we're under what? grace now who's saying this paul is saying this so paul goes on to explain this a little bit more right just in case you didn't get it so we go to chapter seven. Oh, let me show you what sin means by the way in the greek uh, do nouns and verbs and adjectives mean anything they do <laughs> this is important the word sin there harmatia in the greek is a what you see it up there it's a noun what is a noun? Person, place, or thing. So when the Bible says that for sin shall not have dominion over you, it's a noun. Now only two times in the book of Romans is the word sin a noun. Only two times. Here's one of them. For sin, for noun. Listen, sin, God is, what he's saying to you right now is, hey, do, anybody in here not sin anymore? No, I'm close because I'm a pastor, right? I don't sin hardly as much as you guys at all. Except last night. I may have said a few words that weren't kind and edifying. For sin, this means person, place, or thing. This is not talking about, hey, if you understand grace, you're not going to sin anymore. This is saying, hey, the judgment, the punishment, and the condemnation for sin has been taken care of. By who? By Jesus. When we understand that the sin punishment, listen, the Bible says that God's not going to punish us anymore. You know why he can't punish us for sin anymore? You tell me why. It's paid for. It's called double jeopardy, right? If, if Jesus has to pay for your sin again, something's wrong. He paid for it already. Would you agree? And his, his payment lasts today. Would you agree? Yeah, because what he did was better than what Adam did. 
So we have to understand that because of what Christ did, there is no longer a, a punishment for me. Now, does that make me want to go out and cuss all the time? Does that make me want to do people wrong? Does that make me want to uh, uh, sin uh, uncontrollably anymore? No, man. Once you understand what has been done for you and how much God loves you and what Christ did for you, that makes you have a relationship with him. And you're not checking a box. Ask yourself this. If you're married, do you feel like... Please don't answer this out loud. It's rhetorical. Do, do you feel like that you are checking a box for your spouse every day? Or do you have a relationship with your spouse every day? If you're checking a box, you need to see Pastor Dwayne. Don't come to me because I don't want to counsel people. I got my own problems. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. So, so doesn't that make sense? That, why would we think that's our relationship with our Father in Heaven is any different? We're not checking a box. When you understand what he did for you, you're going to fail still. But when you fail, the Bible says, though a righteous man falls seven times, what happens? He gets back up. Does it add on to that verse? You lose your righteousness and you got to start all over again? No, you're still righteous because what Christ did made you righteous. Not what you do, what Christ did made you righteous. And when you understand that, even when you fail... Like last night, you get back up. You get back up. God can still use you. Would you agree? Can God still use you? But what do we do in our minds? We start checking out. We, we start disqualifying ourselves because what are we looking at? Our failures. When we should be looking to our Savior who represents us. Amen? All right, next chapter. Thank you, Jesus. Or this is Paul expanding on this, right? Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know what? The law. Who knows the law? The Jewish people. That the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. See? Goes along with the previous chapter. You guys know that when, when the Bible was written, when Romans was written, it didn't have chapter and verse. It was a letter. You guys know that, right? All right, so... When, when, when we get to this part, he's expanding on what he just said in the previous chapter. Uh, that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. Right? Ladies don't get any ideas. As long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So her husband has to die. Right? Now, how many of you guys know that this thing is not about a husband and a wife? It's not about marriage. In the context of chapter 6, even 5, 5, 6, 7, 8, 5, 6, 7, 8, right? You just remember that. 5, 6, 7, 8 in Romans is about the law versus grace. And I want to show you here what it's saying. This is not about a marriage. Don't preach on this or teach on this as a marriage. It's not, right? First of all, it's horrible advice if you're counseling a woman. <laughs> And you're like, hey, if he dies, you're free. <laughs> so don't use it, right? But somebody has to die. The first one, who came first, the law or Jesus? The law did. See, and, and we're married to the law. Mr. Law, he's perfect. He's perfect. Nothing wrong with him. He's perfect. But he wants everything perfect. And unless you can provide everything perfectly, then, then you're, you're, you're in trouble, right? Because his love for you is based on that. 
So Mr. Law is number one. He's the first husband. But if Mr. Law can somehow be taken care of, then Jesus can come in. This thing is all about Jesus right here. Everything in Scripture is about Jesus and his love for us. Look at uh, this, verse 3. So if then while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she had married another man. That's a, that's a law, right? But is, is he talking about this? Is he talking about marriage? Or is it something else? Because we're going to read it in context in just a second. Look at Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Say that, church. Say, I have been crucified with Christ. That means someone provided a death for you. Yes? You didn't have to die. Somebody provided a death for you. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay? Keep that in mind. Because when we go back to Romans 7 and we read in context, it says, So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, uh, though she had married another man. Therefore, what do I always say? Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, find out why it's therefore. Therefore is there because of what we just read. The marriage thing, right? Therefore, my brethren, you also have become what? Dead to the law. How? Through the body of Christ. Why? That you, be, that you may be married to another. To who? Jesus, who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. If you want people in your church to bear fruit to God, don't tell them about the law. Tell them about who they're married to. That, 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 that the person they're married to now Finish the law. The Bible says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe. What does end mean? It's done. Finito. That's Italian. Because I'm Italian. Remore. From now on, when you guys come to kiss my ring at the end of the service, call me Remore. It just sounds more romantic remore hey girl boom back to this <laughs> what does dead to the law mean that means we're dead to the law we're no longer held accountable to the law why why can i say that because i didn't believe that growing up how can i say that god doesn't judge us by the law anymore because christ is the end of the law god doesn't judge us by the law he judges us by whether we believe jesus did it for us or not amen Amen? That's the, that's the greatest message of the Bible. That you, could, you know why? Because you could never keep the law. And that's why Christ came. Now, does that make me not want to keep the law? No, it doesn't. That's a lie. It actually makes me produce more fruit to God. You know what Paul said? Hey, I labor more than any of these cats. He might not have said cats, but you know what I'm saying. He's like, I labor more than any of these guys. Yet not I, but the... Say it. The grace, the grace of God in me. He's saying the reason why he labors and bears fruit to God is not because of the law, but by the grace of God in him. 
Paul got it, man. Paul understood what grace does to people. It sets you free from the law. We're not held by it anymore. Amen? That's good news, man. All right, for when we were in the flesh, were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the grace message. Oh, that's interesting, because that's not what I hear. Is that what you hear? <laughs> they say, oh, man, Pastor Dwayne and Troy, man, they preach that grace message. They're giving, member, they're giving their members the license to sin. Do you need a license to sin? No, you don't, right? What arouses sinful passions? You tell me, it's right there in Scripture. The law, the law. In other words, the more you try, that's why Paul said, the more I try not to covet, what happened? The more he coveted. Right? That's how powerful the law is. That's what it was designed to do. It was designed to let you know, hey, you can't do it. You need Jesus. Amen? So, uh, it says, uh, oh, they're aroused by the law. We're at work in our members to bear fruit to death. You remember grace, the previous verse, bears fruit to God. Well, what bears fruit to death? The, pas the sinful passions aroused by the law. Right? So the more I tell you guys about the law and how bad you are and how much you fail and how much you can't keep it, guess what happens? I'm actually increasing the sinful passion desire to, to do so. That's what the Bible says. And I never knew that, man. I used to tell people, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. The reason why things are happening in your life is because you're not doing this, you're not doing that. that I was, that's, the, that's the law. And when you put people in the law, man, how many of you guys need to know how bad you are? But how many of you guys need to know that even though you're bad, that God still loves you? That's the gospel. And that's what Paul's saying, man. Bear fruit to death. Anytime you start preaching the law, people, they're bearing fruit to death because in their mind they think they're, they're just disqualified. Right? Having died, having died to what we were held by, the law holds us in bondage. It keeps us from being, bearing fruit to God. Because we're, we're saying, hey, I can't go up there and pray for somebody because I know what I've done. And that's a lie from hell. You are disqualifying you, yourself when Christ qualified you. Amen? Uh, held by so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. I wonder what letter he's talking about. That'd be the Ten Commandments. Go back, read Romans 6 and 7. It's all about grace and the Ten Commandments. It's, it changed my life. All right, I want to tell you a story about Ruth. You guys know Ruth? So, so see how Paul used the marriage analogy, right, when it came to grace and law? And I believe that everything in the Old Testament is about Jesus. I believe that everything is a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. That's why when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus and he was talking to the two disciples, it says that he expounded on all the things in the Bible, right, in the Old Testament concerning himself. Meaning that everything in the Old Testament is really about Jesus. And, it's, and it's, it's to our glory to be able to go in there and find it. It's a beautiful thing. Amen? Let's look at Ruth. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Okay? The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Milon and Chilion. 
Fridays of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of women of the women of Moab. Now what's wrong with Moab? God cursed Moab. God told Moab they, they, they couldn't come into their, to their, to their, uh, to their country uh, and they couldn't come into their land and they couldn't have anything to do with the Israelites. So Moab was a cursed um, people by God. Okay. Um, the name of the one was Oprah. Thank you, George. <laughs> Orpah. Orpha, her name in, in uh, Hebrew means back of the neck. And you'll see why in a second. <laughs> and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. 10, say 10. 10 years. Interesting. All right. Then both Milone and Chilion also died. You'll also see why they died in a second too. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Now we fast forward a little bit down to verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices. Uh, Naomi was like, hey, you guys going back to your land. I got nothing. I got to go back to my land. You know, there's no tie here anymore. My son's died. My husband's died. And uh, so she told them that. And then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Oprah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So what did they see? The back of the neck. She's like, bye. And just went back to her people, right? Nothing wrong with that. That's, that's what her name means. She just lived up to her name. You'll see. It's important in just a second. All right. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there Will I be buried? The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. That's a heck of a line. You remember when I said that to you? <laughs> I couldn't have thought of that. <laughs> I'd have been like, girl, you get what you get, and you don't pitch a fit. That's what I would have said. All right. <laughs> verse 18 when she saw that she was determined to go with her she stopped speaking to her Naomi's like all right let's go just I'm, I'm done talking to you okay fast forward to Ruth chapter 2 right there was a relative of Naomi's husband a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech his name was Boaz now Boaz is a picture of Jesus right we the church are Ruth that's who we are we are outsiders Okay, we are Ruth. Boaz is a picture of Jesus. Okay, uh, so Ruth the Moabitess. Why do you think that's in there? Now they're calling her the Moabitess. Because there's a message here God wants you to know, right? Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain from uh, after him in whose sight I may found fa find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter, right? So basically she's gleaning. Gleaning means that you go behind the reapers and you get what's left over. Right? I'm no farmer, but that's what it meant back then. Is that still what it means today? Gleaning? Any farmers in here? So you just pick up the leftovers, okay? That's pretty much what she was doing. Um, then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened. She happened. 
That's interesting. You think God had anything to do with this? Yeah, there's no happenstance, right? She happened to, to come to the part of the field belonging to who? Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Guys, that's important. House of bread, right? And said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him and, and they said, the Lord bless you. That says a lot about what his employees thought about him when they blessed him, right? Uh, then Boaz said to the servant who was in charge of the reaper, he's like, whoa, bro. Who's that? Anybody read the Bible like that? No? So I read it. <laughs> Boaz was a man. Right? He said, he's like, man, who's that? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab, right? A cursed people. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's taken over. And uh, she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and, ha and has continued from morning until, until now, uh, though she rested a little in the house. She's a hard worker, man. She's out there doing it, right? And uh, then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen to me, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in, in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? Important protection. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? The word favor there is the same word used for what? Grace. Why have I found favor in your eyes? Have you ever thought, God, why are you so good to me? Yeah, you're about to see. Why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. What do we say to God? God, why are you showing favor to me since I'm a sinner? I'm a sinner. Why do you love me? Why do you still love me? Or we say this, why would God do that for me since I'm a sinner? And we forget that God loves you. That's why he does it. He doesn't do it because you're good. He does it because he loves you. But we tell people you got to be good to be blessed. That's the opposite of what the Bible tells us. Nobody was good when Jesus came. He came yet while we were still sinners. So don't tell me that you have to be obedient in order to be blessed. Because none of you guys can be obedient. I mean, you're just not like me. Some of you guys visiting will be like, that pastor thinks he's all that, right? Yes. <laughs> all right. And Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to, the, to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. That's a beautiful picture of who God is, who Jesus is for us. Right? Now it happened, verse, uh, verse 8. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. Now guys, would, would you be that way? 
y'all too scared to answer. <laughs> like, I, don't, I ain't never been in that spot. I don't know what you're talking about, man. All right. Uh, and turned himself, and there was a woman lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. What does that mean? Anybody ever heard of the kinsman redeemer? It's a law. Kinsman redeemer means that if you have lost something, property, or anything like that, you can have a close relative, a close kinsman, the first one, buy it back for you. Amen? By the way, who does the Bible say is our redeemer? Jesus. So keep this in mind. If you have a close relative, they get first dibs on buying your land back for you. Part of that law also is if you're a widow, they marry you to continue the seed of the deceased relative. Does that make sense? That's how it works. So Ruth knew that. How do you think Ruth knew it? Do you think she spent some time with Naomi? Yeah, she spent time with Naomi. So Ruth knew it. He, and she says, you are a close relative. He knew what that meant. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. Uh, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you that uh, all, all, say all, all uh, that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I, right? The law says that it has to be the closest relative first. And then it goes down the line, okay? So there's a closer relative than Boaz. There was a closer relative than Jesus to us. Do you know who that is? It's the law. What came first, Jesus or the law? The law. Now, remember what we read in Romans 7, right? We were married to the law. We were. But Christ ended that for us. Amen? So keep that in mind here. All right. Um, so what, is, what does uh, Boaz do next? Oh, oh, he says, stay the night, and in the morning it shall be that if you will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, right? If that guy will do it, good. Um, but... Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. In other words, hey, Ruth, rest. I'm going to take care of it. If Boaz is a picture of Jesus, you know what this is telling us? It's like, hey, you got issues? You got, you got some problems? You worried about something? Rest. Jesus will take care of it. Amen? Doesn't he always? All right, so chapter 4, last chapter. This is, a, this is where it all goes down. Now, Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. The gate is where business was taking place, right? The gate is where all the people in the city did their business, at the gate. Not that, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you never know, Bobby's in this. Uh, Bobby's like, he said business. <laughs> That's how I think too, so I, that's how I know. Uh, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took how many men, church? He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. He brought the law with them to witness this. That's what this is saying. Ten men. Why do you think it says ten? By coincidence? How many times have we seen ten? I had you say it. There's a, there's a lesson to be learned here, right? Amen? So the law came, they sat down. 
Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, whom has come back from the country of Moab, sold a piece of the land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. So buy it back in the presence of these ten people right here. Buy it back, right? Um, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day. He's like, okay, you'll redeem it. But on the day, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from, what? Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I ruin my own inheritance. You know what that means? That means the law is inflexible. Ruth is disqualified. Why? She's a Moabitess. She's a cursed people. The law, it cannot bend. It, the, you remember in Romans 7, it, the, Mr. Law in Romans 7, he cannot be flexible. He is black or white. You either do one of them, you do all of them, or you do none of them. Amen? Because you break one of the laws, you break them all. The law is inflexible. So the law could not marry Ruth the Moabitess. So he said, you redeem my right of redemption for yourself. I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times of Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And he gave his sandal to him. That was the custom. You know what? Do you remember uh, what God told Moses to do with his sandals at the burning bush? Take them off. Why? He was on holy ground. So in the old covenant, when I think sandals in the old covenant, I think you have to take your shoes off because you're on holy ground. That's the old covenant, right? That's the law. The new covenant. Do you remember when the prodigal son came home? What happened? The, the, what, is, what is the one thing the father said to, to, to put on his feet? He said, put sandals on his feet. Why? Because he was lost, but now he's found. Now he's home. That's the way we should picture God. When we think of coming back to church, when we think of when we fail, we come home, we got to know that he loves us enough that he'll put sandals on our feet. And we can stand on holy ground. Why? Because of what you did? No, that prodigal son went and did whatever he wanted to do. But it was the love of the father that put shoes on his feet. And Boaz said to the elders of the people, you are witnesses. How many guys did he have up there? Ten. You are witnesses. I love this one. This day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and all that was Mahalon's from the hand of Naomi. Boaz is a picture of Jesus. He's saying, hey, look, you ten are all witnesses that I have bought back. Elimelech. You want to see what Elimelech's name means? Are y'all interested in what, what the, the meanings in these names? Yes? Come back next Sunday. <laughs> Elimelech means my God is king. Literally, it, it, if you go on down past this, it tells you that, that everything belongs to God. That's what his name means. All things belong to God. My God is king, right? So what Adam lost, Jesus got back. Amen? 
Everything that was God's, that, 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 that God gave us, we gave the keys over to Satan in the garden. But guess what? When Christ died on the cross, he got them back. He bought everything back. And that's what that means when he says Imelech, right? Look at this. Look at, look at what uh, uh, Kilion means. Chilion. I like to say Chilion. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Pining. Wasting away. You know what that means? Death. Wasting away. <laughs> Boaz is like, I bought everything that was God's, and I also took death back. Oh, keep going. Look at this. Mahalon. Sickness. Boaz said, in the presence of the ten that used to rule over, Boaz says, I bought back everything, everything that was God's, got it back. I also took care of death, and I also took care of sickness. You think that's there by coincidence? And by the way, why would you name your kid death and, and sickness? You ever read the Bible and you're like, why did they name their kids death and sickness and back of the neck? Because God had a message for us today. How many of you just felt so blessed right now by hearing that? That's why they were named sickness and death. And they're probably going, hey, you're welcome. Right? But I think that's beautiful. When Boaz said to the ten, he said to the ten, the ten, there's a reason all this is in Scripture, guys. It's up to us to search it out. He said to them, man, I bought it all back. And then you go on down, it says, Boaz and Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he had went, in, uh, the Lord gave her conception, and, and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And, and his name, his na may his name be famous in all of Israel. You tell me, church. Is that name famous in all of Israel? Yes, it's the name above all names. And, and may he be to you a restorer of life. Is Jesus a restorer of life? Oh yeah, he is. And a nourisher to your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and began to nurse to, and, and became a nurse to him. Also, the neighbor women gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Na now listen to me. Ruth is one of the four women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. All four of them disqualified. In our eyes, if we go by the law, they're all disqualified right but why are there four women Ruth is one of those women she's a Moabitess by definition she she is disqualified but yet her name appears in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior why because God loves people God qualifies you God qualifies you you may think that you're disqualified because of the curse that has come on you or whatever then let me tell you something you have been redeemed from the curse of the law that's what the bible says and when you understand that you are qualified by what he did and not by what you do then you become a blessing to people because people need to see that people fail but hey god still loves them and they can still be used if only you knew about who i was when i was growing up right you'd be like there's no way in in in, in heaven 
that that brother's going to be a pastor. It shocks people. You know why? It's not because God likes to shock people. He likes to let people know, hey, I can use anybody. I can use anybody, and I'm no different than you. You just got to understand that your sins are paid for. You got to understand that, that, that God sees you as completely forgiven. And when you know that you're completely forgiven, you can do great things. The Bible says you produce fruit to God. But if you keep thinking you're back under law and God's judging you by what you do, you produce death, fruit to death. Why? Because you're condemning yourself. When Christ could, what does the Bible say? Therefore, there is now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Two more verses, I think we're done. All right. Uh, Boaz did all that stuff. That, I love that story, man. Um, we read that. Was I clicking this or something? <laughs> Anything there? That's just the genealogy. All right, look, go back there. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law. How? Through the body of Christ. You got to know that the law is taken care of. Bible says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe. The question you need to ask is not whether you need to keep the law or do you believe in Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus paid for your sin? Do you believe that Jesus did a perfect work? You got to also believe that Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. You can't work to be righteous with God. You are righteous by faith. You are righteous by what Christ did for you. And that's good news because none of us can do it. All right, Romans 5, uh, 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift. It was free, but it cost God his son. Don't forget that. It's not cheap. Grace is not cheap. Grace is a person, a gift. His name is Jesus. The free gift came to all men. The free gift came to all men resulting in what? Justification of life. Even though Adam did that, when Adam sinned, condemnation came. But because of what Christ did, the free gift, what came? Justification of life. We stand justified in the eyes of a holy God. How can a holy God justify me? How? How can he justify me? By what I do? No. Because I'm condemned in that. He justifies me. I'm justified by the blood of my Savior. And so are you. Last verse. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. How how many times have you heard, man, you got to get right because one day you're going to be at the gate. You're going to be at the gate. And all your sins going to be on this screen. And you're going to have to answer for everything. Let me just tell you, if your answer is anything but this, I'm here because of the blood of Jesus. If you say anything else, you're going to get shot right down to hell. The little button. Trap door. Before you get it out of your mouth, you're like, ah. The only reason we can have boldness on the day of judgment is because of the blood of Jesus. If you get up there and say, hey, I did this, I did this. I went to every elders meeting. <laughs> I, I was at every time the church doors were open, I was there. I fasted. I read my Bible every day. I, you know, I, I, whatever you want to say. I did this. I, I opened the door for the old ladies every day. I gave money. You can go through all that. <laughs> He's going to say, hey. 
depart from me because I never knew you. There's no relationship. You're checking boxes. Like I said earlier, if you're checking a box with your spouse, there's no relationship. That's like working for somebody. Some of y'all are like... <laughs> I'm just joking, Jay. <laughs> Isn't it the truth, guys? We got to know on the day of judgment, we can have boldness. You don't go up there in trepidation and fear. You can be bold. Why? Because you know what happened. Jesus, you can even say, hey, Jesus at your right hand, he died for me. His blood covered me. His blood took away my sin. See, under the old covenant, sin was, was covered up. But John the Baptist said this when he saw Jesus coming. He said, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They weren't just covered. Boom, they were gone. Anybody ever have a pastor come to your house and, and you start cleaning out stuff? You go to the fridge, you're like, we got to get rid of this, right? And you get, you, you get your DVDs and you start hiding them. That's covering up stuff, right? Je hey, Jesus didn't just cover up stuff. He obliterated the judgment of sin. It's done. It's paid for. The world's sin is paid for. The Bible says that. They just don't know who paid for it. People don't go to hell because they sin. They go to hell because they reject the payment for their sin. Sin's paid for. Hebrews says when he comes back, it has nothing to do with sin. Nothing. Why? Because sin was taken care of. Tell them that. Don't tell them how bad they are. Tell them how good God is. Here's the best part, and I'll leave you with this. We can have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we when? When we get to heaven? No, right now. As Jesus is, so are we right now. That's why we can have boldness. Is Jesus suffering from sin anymore? Neither will you. Is Jesus condemned by sin? Neither are you. Isn't that beautiful? That means stop looking at yourself. Stop looking inside at yourself where you fail. Stop looking at your, at your, uh, at your sin and start looking at your Savior. And be very thankful that He loved you that much. Amen? Will you stand with me and give Him a hand, please? Give Jesus a hand just like He's standing physically right here. Because he is here, I promise you that, amen? I hope you were blessed by the message. I hope you, you, you saw that you can go back and read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and literally see Jesus in every area of that Bible. It's unbelievable. It brings life to us, amen? Aren't you blessed by knowing that Jesus loves you that much? That he completely took care of the one thing that was standing between us. So that we're not adulterers anymore. You know why? You know what happens when you, when you sin and you go back to God and you say, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And, you, and, then, you, and then you say that prayer and the next day, what happens? <laughs> you keep struggling. You got, God, please forgive me. God, please forgive me. Anybody do that? You know what God's saying to you? According to everything we just read, he's like, I really wish you understood that I have forgiven you completely. Because then you wouldn't condemn yourself did jesus look at the woman caught in adultery and say hey before i can forgive you i'm gonna need you to say a prayer 
and ask for forgiveness. Do you, do you guys read that in the Bible? No. You know what he did? <laughs> he said, where are those who condemn you? She said, nowhere, my Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So before she could go and sin no more, he had to give her the gift of no condemnation. Don't you think people need to know that? The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads them to repent. Not how bad people are, it's how good God is. And that'll get them to change their mind. That's what our role is. We take that message out into the world, to our family, to our friends, to our co-workers. And we say, hey man, I, got, I, don't, I don't have much for you, but all I can give you is hope. That's all we have to offer people, is hope. Listen, I could do this all day, but I'm hungry. So would you bow your heads with me, please? I just want to um, I just want to go ahead and say this prayer. That, and if you guys would just repeat it after me, uh, it's not so that we can be saved again. It's just a, a thank you that we are saved. We said this prayer. We know who we are. We believe in what Christ did for us. But there's some in here who may not know who Jesus is, which I find hard to believe. If you sat in here for the last five minutes, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just repeat after uh, our church family as we pray this prayer. Say this with me. Father, I thank you for your son Jesus and his great love for me. I confess Jesus with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead and I thank you for saving me from my sin. If you said that prayer, I want you to know there's no 12-week class you have to take. There's no eight-week book you got to read. There's no 10-step process. You are saved right where you are because that's what the Bible says to do. Confess Jesus. Confess that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you shall be saved. That's, that's who you are. If you said that prayer, you are saved right where you are. And I would love, 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 love to talk to you more about that. I'll be up here. I'll be here. Come see me if you said that prayer, man. I, I will rejoice with you. Amen? We're not going to sit here and, and talk about how much you sin and how much you don't deserve it because I'm going to be like, look, I'm a, I hate to stop you, but I'm hungry. You're right. You don't deserve it, but God loves you. He loves you. It's as simple as that. We jack it up. Religion jacks it up. God loves you that much. It is too hard. To, it's too good to believe, isn't it? It's the good news. That's why the Jews were all jacked up. Like That's too good to believe right there. It can't be right, right? But it's so easy. God, the Father, made it so easy for us to understand. And what you just did will change your life, will change your destiny forever. Please see me. If you have a prayer request, please come down. And uh, after church, I'll be down here. I'll pray over you. Uh, we are starting a thing where Pastor Dwayne will play some music and come up here and pray. But he had the pizza party today, um, which I'm trying to hurry and get back to. Yes. I just spoke tongues if you don't believe in that. <laughs> Thank you. Colton, 
We're not done yet. <laughs> I will say this last prayer. Uh, I'm going to say a prayer to bless you, and then we'll dismiss. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your, your, your message of hope, your message of love, your message of grace that you have shown us. Father, thank you for blessing these people as they came in and blessing them on their way out. Father, thank you for prospering all that they do in their lives. Everything their hands touch, everywhere their feet go, everywhere their eyes look upon. Father, thank you for bringing the unmerited blessings along with it. God, may people see the hope in them, the hope of Christ, a confident expectation of good coming their way. God, use them in a mighty way. Free them up from their past. Father, free them from condemning themselves. God, give them life as they leave here. Life worth living, a life worth walking. God, bless them beyond measure with encouragement today from people. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, let the church say, amen. You're dismissed.